Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. The title of tonight's message is Stuck in the Escape Room, um, Finding Answers in Life's Tough Seasons. And when we get into the text, you'll kind of understand the context of it. Um, A while back, my kids were participating in something um, through the church here. I believe it was last fall where they uh, gathered all the kids together and they went on a field trip and they took them to this thing called an escape room. Maybe you've heard of that, um, but it's kind of an activity that you can do and it's meant to be something that you do uh, as a group or with a group. And what they do is they take and they put you in, in a room and then they lock you in there. And so it has no windows Um, It has no, I don't even know if there's ventilation. There's one way in, and then they lock the door, and you're in the room, and you're stuck there, and there is no way out except that as a team, you're supposed to kind of search the room, you're to discover clues, you're to unlock mysteries, you're to capitalize on everybody's uh, thought patterns and strategy, and you're to figure a way out of this room. And so essentially you're willingly choosing to be stuck in a room and you have to be smart enough to get out. And so my kids went to this thing and I'm like, I feel like I'm in that every day. You know, I don't want to go and do that on the side and just be reminded of what I feel like every other day of my life. You know, kind of being in this place where I'm stuck and I know there's got to be a way out, but I don't know what it is and I can't figure it out because I'm not smart enough and I'm just frustrated and I'm not really having fun, you know. And and so this escape room idea is kind of where Solomon found himself when he took it upon himself to write this letter. He feels stuck in a place where he knows there's a way out, there's life on the other side, but he can't seem to get there. Now, the theme of the book, if you're just joining us, or just by way of uh, review and reminder, the theme of the book is really the search for meaning, or searching for the purpose of life. Why are we here? And it's really one of the greatest questions that's asked by almost all people. Now, the reoccurring phrase that comes up throughout the book that represents that theme are the words, under the sun. And if you've read ahead, if you've been tracking with us thus far, you've already seen those words used by Solomon many, many times. And they're very important words in terms of our understanding of what the message of the book is intended to convey or what God wants to convey to us. And the reason why those words are the most important words in the entire book is because they represent really the boundaries of the search that Solomon is on. So when he says that I searched or I did or I sought under the sun, he is letting us know that there were boundaries to his search, that he looked so far in finding an answer to his question or the meeting of his need, but he didn't look any further than that. And and so the words represent the boundaries, but they also represent the limitations of the answers. Meaning that if he only looks this far in front of him to find the answers of his question, 
then if the answers to his questions don't exist within those boundaries, then he's not going to find any of those answers. And the amazing thing as we continue going through this book is that as he continues to search under the sun, he continues to come up empty because the answers to what he's looking for aren't found within the borders and boundaries of what exists under the sun, meaning within the confines of this planet. And so it's a very interesting uh, and, and important concept to understand that this is where Solomon is looking. Now, Either it didn't occur to Solomon that he should expand the boundaries of his search, or, and this is probably more likely the case, he purposefully omitted or purposefully limited his search to there in order to make a point. Now, we know that Solomon was the son of King David. We know that he was the king in Israel. We know that he had a relationship with God. So certainly we know that Solomon himself understood that there was a search that could go beyond the borders of the earth. But for the case or sake of this writing, Ecclesiastes, that we have here, he did not look beyond the borders of what exists under the sun. And thus he did not find the answers to his things. Now, the reason I repeat that is because you and I, who are sitting here tonight with the entire Bible and with the entire spectrum of God's light and God's truth, we do have a perspective that's larger than the boundaries of simply what exists under the sun. We can see things in a greater context than the boundaries that Solomon put before us, and thus what we have already, before we even open the book, is that we have the answers to the questions that Solomon is raising or that he omitted. And, and the reason that makes a difference is because it changes this study of Ecclesiastes from being depressing to being hopeful. You know, it, from being somber to making us excited. Because we feel his struggle, we can relate to the feelings and the pressures that he's trying to relieve himself from, but yet we know the answers that are on the other side. You say, okay, if that's the case then, then why would we study this book? I mean, if Solomon is just giving us all of these problems, but he can't seem to find a solution, and we have the solution because we have a little bit more light or a little bit more truth in our hand than Solomon did, then why would we study this book in the first place? Why not just leave it behind and go on to greater things? Here's the reason is because what Solomon is expressing to us in these chapters and lines are the frustrations that we feel that often we can't find words to define. So when I read Solomon's struggle and the things that he was trying to, to work through and work out, I say, yeah, I felt that too, but I've never been able to attach words to it. And, and, and for me, what I find is that it's almost impossible for me to solve a problem that I can't clearly see. It's when I can clearly see a problem that I have that then I can begin to take steps to find the problem. I'll tell you some of the most valuable words that I ever heard in my life were these two. Analysis paralysis. And somebody said that to me probably 20 years ago. They said to me, they said, do you know what your problem is? Is that you have the analysis paralysis. And, and as soon as they said those words, I said, yes, that's exactly what's wrong with me. And just seeing that 
Just realizing that I had the tendency to overthink things was the key to me then beginning to work that out in my life and to become a little bit more concrete in the way that I made decisions. And so part of the value of studying Ecclesiastes the way that we are, even though Solomon doesn't give us the answers, we have them and we see them as we go. But they help us to understand the things that we're going through and why they feel like they do And it helps us then to apply the entirety of God's truth in finding an answer and finding uh, uh, the solution to it. And so as we come to chapter 3 tonight, we see that Solomon shifts gears. In chapter 2, he was searching for meaning, searching for purpose in outward things. Trying to satisfy the longing of his soul through indulgence, through acquisitions, through embracing opportunities, through building his status and feeding upon the success of his reputation, and all outward things in which he sought meaning and purpose for life. And what we found and saw is that Solomon came up empty. None of the things outwardly that he sought satisfaction in actually met the need that he was feeling inside. It was an empty search. And so as we come to chapter 3 now, he goes from the outward to now the inward. He kind of puts on the philosopher's hat, if you would, and he begins to question the thought patterns, the systems of life, the things that we go through, and see if in that, in searching the ebb and flow of time, season, and chance, if in that there is an answer to the question, what is the purpose of life? I almost called this study tonight theodicy. Because it's Solomon the philosopher putting on Aristotle's hat and digging deep within, looking at deep things, trying to bring meaning back up to the surface. And so Solomon turns inward as we get into chapter 3. And so if you're there, let's look at chapter 3. We'll read the first eight verses, and then we'll begin uh, unpacking the chapter. Solomon writes, and he says this, To everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to get and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to rend or tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. And so it's one of those passages of Scripture that everyone has heard, everyone knows the words, but only half know that it's actually in the Bible that these things were spoken. Most heard these things on the radio or in a movie or quoted at a wedding or something, but these words are actually in the Bible. They're penned by Solomon, all of these times and seasons. Now, the key to understanding what Solomon is communicating is there right in verse 1, and you'll notice the three words that make sense of the things. He says that to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And so the three words that we look at in this verse that help us understand are the words purpose, 
time and season. Now, the word purpose that Solomon uses there, the Hebrew word actually translates valuable thing or things that matter. So that's what he's talking about when he's talking about the purpose. Now, remember, this is connected to the theme of the entire book. He's searching for the purpose of life, the meaning of life, what matters in life. And so the purpose part of this is that thing that's valuable, the things that matter, the substance, the value of our lives. Now, what's important for us to understand as it relates to Solomon's use of this word purpose here is that when we think about it in our own lives or the context of our own lives, we understand that there are many purposes in our lives. We don't all live and just have one singular purpose. There are many purposes, a multiplicity of purposes. And that's kind of implied by all of the things that Solomon says then in verses 2 through 8. He lists all kind of different situations in that. When he says, time to be born and die, plant and pluck up, kill and heal, dance and mourn. He's talking about life purposes. He's talking about the systems of things that we're engaged in. Sometimes we have to kill things in our life, systems and habits and things that we're a part of. And and sometimes we have to, you know, make them born. We need to bear forth purposes to help us in things. And so life uh, systems, productivity, cutting down, planting, growing things, things, purposes that pertain to our circumstances in life, things that pertain to our relationships in life. That's what he means when he says that there's a time to uh, throw stones, there's a time to embrace, things that pertain to our possessions. He says there's a time to get things and a time to get rid of things, things that pertain to situations in our life. He says there's times to speak and there's times to remain silent, and then even uh, things that pertain to conflicts that we face in our life. So there's times to fight, there's times to refrain from fighting. And so all that to say is that there are a multiplicity of purposes that you and I deal with every day of our lives. And if you just think about it, just in yourself, just where you're sitting right now, you are first of all and foremost, you're a person. You're a human being, you're a soul, you're an identity. You exist. And that's a purpose in and of itself. And part of that is discovering who that is. It's developing it. It's seeing it changed. It's discovering the reason for it. That's part of your purpose. You're also a partner. If you're married here tonight, if you have a spouse, then you have a purpose. The the marriage relationship, that's a whole separate purpose that you have in your life, something that you have to take care of. You are also a peer. You have relationships with other people, co-workers, colleagues, friends, recreational people. And a part of your purpose or one of your purposes is maintaining those relationships that bring value into your life, into your existence. Everyone in this room, we are also pupils. All of us are students in some form. Some are full-time students, and that's what they do constantly because they're at that stage of life. They're in that season where it's full-time. But all of us, to some degree, are pupils of something. We are learning beings. And so whether it's a book that we're reading or whether it's something that we're taking in, a documentary or something that we're interested in that we follow up with on YouTube, all of us are, have the purpose of growing in our education. And so we're pupils. We are also, many of us, parents. 
And so that's part, uh, I'm a parent, so that's a part of my purpose. It's one of my purposes in life. And I am also a provider. I have the responsibility in my household of providing for my family. That's, that's my purpose. And so I have to do that. I have to make sure there's food on the table. I have to make sure that my kids are being trained up and raised up properly. I have to make sure that my wife is, is content and, and spiritually happy and whole. And, and there's a whole multiplicity of things that go along with being a provider. And so all of these things are purposes. And so Solomon uses that word. He says that there's a time for every purpose. Now, the second word that he uses in the verse is the word time. And the reason why that word time is so important to the understanding is because what he is telling us here is, is, listen, he's saying that every purpose that you and I have under the sun is contained within the boundaries of time. Now, time, and I'm not going to branch off on a rabbit trail here, but it's important to say, time is something that exists in the present world that we live in. Time is measured by the rising and the setting of sun, by rotations and revolutions. But if you leave Earth, you leave time, because time is different where there is different. And so all of our purposes are in the context of time, meaning they're a part of our life here on earth. And we'll talk more about that later on in our study. But essentially what he's saying is that no matter what purpose you and I are dealing with or thinking about, it's a finite issue. It will not last forever. It will have a shelf life and it will eventually end. And then the third word is that he uses the word season. And that's important. Now listen. This is why this passage is here. Because essentially what Solomon is saying is that for every purpose in your life, whether it's your personality, your partnership, your peers, your pupilship, whatever purpose you have in your life, that purpose has a season. Purposes are seasonal. And the spectrum of those seasons goes on one side from really, really bad, time to kill, time to tear down, time to throw stones, you know, to really, really good, a time to heal, to build up, to love, to laugh, you know. So all of these seasons have bad times and they have good times. So what does that mean? It means that the purposes that you and I have in our life have good times and they have bad times. So you might be a full-time student here right now and you might say, the student part of my life, this is a bad season. Kill, cut off, pluck up, get rid of it, I hate it. But you might be past the full-time student portion of your life and you enjoy learning. I remember I had a teacher who told me that if he could be a full-time learner, he would be happy in life. And I said, you're out of your mind, you're crazy. But now I'm there, and I understand what he was talking about because I'm in a different season. You might, as a parent, be in a season where you have a few kids that are all under a certain age, and you feel like you're going to die. And it's a very hard season in that purpose. But there's another season on the other side of things where being a parent is, is a joy that you wouldn't trade anything for. And so there's a spectrum of seasonality that exists within the various purposes of our life. Now, why is Solomon bringing that up? And what does it have to do with the meaning of life and the struggle that I feel as a human being? 
Notice what he says in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3. He says, What profit has he that works in all that wherein he labors? For I have seen the travail. Travail is a word that means hard labor. The hard labor which God has given to the sons of men to be exercised in it. Here's the conclusion that Solomon is coming to in all of these things. He's saying, here's my issue with purpose, time, and season. Is that some parts of my life are really, really good. And other parts of my life are really, really bad. And I'm struggling because the parts of my life that are really, really bad are ruining the parts of my life that are really, really good. And so the question is, is there a way that all of my seasons can come into this harmonious thing called good and life can just be amazing? Can all the seasons at once, of all the purposes, be summertime? And is there a way that I can make that happen? Now, I've got good news for you, and I've got bad news for you. I'll give you the bad news first. The bad news is no. There is no way that all of the purposes in your life can be in the summer all at once. That's just not real. It's not realistic. It's not, uh, it's not going to happen for you. Now, that's actually a good thing. I am not even giving you the good news yet, but there's actually a good thing in the fact that you can't have that. And here's what it is. Here's the good news in that, is that if you experience that, where everything all of a sudden was sunshine and roses in every part of your life, you would immediately be gripped with the heaviest bout of anxiety and fear that is possible for a human being to experience because you'd be like, oh no, I can't keep this. What's going to happen that's going to just ruin this? And then what do I do? You know, because this is it. I found it. It's here. You know, so it's actually probably a good thing for you to just know right up front that no, not everything in your life is always going to be good all at once. Jesus put it like this. He said that the sun shines on the just and the unjust And he also said that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. In other words, whether you're saved or not, whether you're good or bad, you're going to have good seasons and you're going to have bad seasons. And that's just the reality of life in this world under the sun. That's the bad news. Now, what's the good news? The good news is that there's a reason for this. The good news is that there is actually sense behind that struggle. There is something in the difficulty of trying to wrestle these things out and make sense of them that is actually good. It's a good thing. And so what follows in the remainder of the chapter, the verses that close out chapter 3, what Solomon is going to give to us here by the Spirit of God is that he's going to give us a series of observations that all have an implied conclusion that help us to understand why we have this struggle and why things work this way and what good it works within our lives. Now, I want you to understand something, so I'm just going to put a pause and a parenthesis in the middle of this study here at this point. There's something about the way that Solomon communicates, and he does this in Proverbs, he does it here, he does it in the Song of Songs. Solomon has this way. He calls himself the preacher. 
He calls himself a teacher. And he has a very unique style of teaching, and he's going to use it on us here and frequently throughout the book as we go through it. But here's what Solomon does, and I appreciate it, is that Solomon will make an implication. Solomon will make an observation, but he won't bring it to its conclusion. He'll kind of leave it out there so that you kind of chew on it a little bit and then bring it the rest of the way. And so he'll kind of bring you so far with his observation, lead you in the right direction, and then he'll say, now you figure it out. And then he walks away. And you're like, oh. But the reason why Solomon does that and the reason why I appreciate it is because he kind of operated on the principle that truth that's discovered is better retained than truth that is told. In other words, it's one thing when someone just tells you the facts about something and there's something satisfying about it. But I know for me, I have a tendency to forget. But if I have to discover it for myself or if I do discover it for myself, then I have a tendency to retain it and it becomes more mine. That's the way that Jesus taught. If you look at Jesus, he was always asking questions. He would say, who do men say that I am? Now, he was teaching them that he was the Christ. But he didn't come out and say that. He led it with a question. He let the discussion uncover the answer. And then the concept was omit or burned on the heart. And he did that constantly, all the time. He would reply to the Pharisees with questions. And so Solomon does the same thing. He doesn't kind of put it out there, but he makes the implication and he allows us to draw the conclusion. And so Solomon gives us here seven observations that each have an implied conclusion that give to us some sense in understanding the seasons of our life and why we go through the struggles that we do. They're funny things, seasons, aren't they? I mean, why is it that in my professional life, I can be doing really, really good, but in my personal life, I can be struggling and really not getting along very well? You know, it's, it's funny how that happens. How sometimes spiritually, I can be really healthy and things can be summer, but then in my financial life, things are kind of a mess, you know, in the whole provision part of things. And, and there's kind of this thing that goes back and forth, you know, as a mom or a dad, I'm doing really, really good. But mentally, in the stability of my mind, I'm really struggling and no one else can see it. I'm, I'm barely hanging on, you know, and things are really difficult. And it's, it's just funny how we're always kind of back and forth with something that's good and something that's not. And it happens no matter what stage of life you're in. Because then what happens is you kind of grow older and you get past all of that and all that stuff is kind of good and settled and then your health starts to go. You know, and you're like, come on, you know, why does it have to be this way? And at that point, you understand enough about politics that you start to get frustrated, you know, and, and angry sometimes, you know. So, so it's just this funny thing that we go through, this struggle of purposes and seasons and time. So what's the sense behind it? Notice with me in the first part of verse 11, Solomon tells us uh, something very important in understanding the struggle. First of all, he says this, that the cause that's committed to Christ ends with beauty. The cause, and there's a slide for that, that's great, so you can see it and think about it and let it sink in, is that the cause that's committed to Christ ends with beauty. Notice what he says in verse 11. He says that he, speaking of God, has made everything beautiful in his time. And this is a very important thing to understand. 
is that you might be tonight sitting here and there are parts and purposes of your life that you say, this is a disaster and this is going to take me out and it's going to ruin everything else that's good in my life. And here's what you need to know first and foremost, as Solomon discovered it, is that when those causes that are too heavy and too great for us are committed to Christ for his keeping and his leading and for his outcome and what he's seeking to do, then the projected path of this difficulty is headed towards something beautiful. But notice the word he. Do you see that word there? That he makes all things beautiful in his time. The cause that I don't commit to Christ that's left upon me to try to navigate and figure out what I find when I do that, I find that I go into a tailspin and things just continue to get worse. But when I commit the cause to him, the assurance and the hope that I have is that even the ugly in my life is headed towards beauty when I get to the place that he is ultimately leading me. And what that gives me is it gives me hope when there's areas of my life and things are happening that I don't understand. Here's what I've discovered. Is that in the struggle of the difficulty of tough seasons in certain areas of my life are teaching me, they're teaching me adaptability, they're equipping me So that when I come to points in my future where I need to draw upon the lessons learned during dark days, I'm ready and equipped when those times come. And so the beauty that he brings later is the result of the difficulty and the struggle that I went through earlier on. I've had seasons in my Christian life, and I'm, I'm, I'm on 20 years now walking with the Lord. And I know that's, that makes me an infant, a drop in the bucket, even compared to, to many of you here. But what I can tell you is that there have been seasons in different purposes in my life that I thought were going to destroy me and I thought they were going to be over. And in every one of them, he has brought me to a place where I say I wouldn't trade having gone through that trial for anything I could have otherwise today. Because the value that those things added to me, you can't put a price tag on it. And so... The cause that's committed to Christ ends with beauty. The second thing that Solomon lays on us is in the second half of verse 11 there, and that is that God uses this struggle, this struggle with seasons, to cause the heart to search. God uses this struggle to cause the heart to search. Notice what Solomon goes on to say. He says, also, he has set the world in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God makes from the beginning to the end. Now, the King James uses the word world there, and it's a mistranslation. You might have, if you have a newer translation, or if you have a margin Bible that gives you the the, the word in the margin, you might see the word eternity written there. That God has set eternity upon their hearts. And the idea behind that word or the translation of that word, listen carefully because it unlocks the meaning. It means to push the boundaries. It means to push the boundaries. God has set it in the hearts of humanity to push the boundaries. What does that mean? It means that when I feel the struggle that difficult seasons in certain purposes weigh upon my heart, it causes me to search for an answer. 
And when I can't find the answer within the confines of the borders of my search, I push the boundaries of my search and I look in a greater, wider spectrum. And so the struggle of the difficulty of this life causes me to look further for the solution to help what I'm feeling, the difficulty that's going on inside my heart. For the unbeliever, the end of that search is a relationship with God. Why is life so hard? Why can't I figure this out? Why am I here? What happens to me after I die? The search for answers in that struggle, when it is solved, the answer is found with God, who is outside, of course, the boundaries of this world. Oh, God, it's you. It's Jesus. It's the cross and forgiveness. It's heaven and eternal life. And so for the believer, that search ends with salvation. But for the unbeliever, for the unbeliever, it works as well. I'm sorry, for the believer, for the Christian, for the one that already knows God, the struggle that we feel even though we're saved, the difficulty of our lives even though we're born again, it causes us to still search for an answer. Why? Because we already have the answer of God. What answer are we looking for? Listen, it's discovering His will for your life and for mine. See, what do we do when we're hurting? We look for relief. And so when we can't define the struggle, we push the boundaries back and we look further for the solution. And here's what I've discovered for the believer. Is that desperation is often an instrument of God to lead me into his plan for my life. God will use desperation in my life to lead me into his purpose and plan. To say it another way, I'll say it like this, is that desperation opens doors that complacency keeps shut. In other words, when I'm really desperate because of something that's going on in my life, it causes me to search, and in that search, I find the leading hand of God, and it leads me to my answers. But if everything is just sunshine and easy, then in my complacency, I just chill. I sit down, and I don't listen, and thus I never discover. God uses the struggle to cause the heart to search. For the unbeliever to find God, and for the believer to find his plan and his will. The third thing that Solomon lays on us in verses 12 and 13 is that perspective in the midst of these tr struggles is important. Perspective matters. Notice in verse 12, Solomon says this. He says, I know that there is no good in them, that is, in man, in us. Paul says that in the book of Romans, chapter 6. He says, I know that in me dwells no good thing. Solomon echoes the same. He says, I know that there is no good in them. But for a man to rejoice and to do good in his life, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor, for it is the gift of God. You say, well, what in the world is Solomon trying to say by laying that out, that there's no good in us, but that we ought to just enjoy the good that God has given, for it's his gift? Listen, here is Solomon's advice to you and I when you're struggling in the tough seasons of your life. Look at the good that you have as being more than what you deserve. Look at the good in your life as being more than what you deserve. Look at the good things in your life right now where you're sitting and give thanks for those things in the context of the fact that you don't deserve it. If the Bible declares emphatically that fallen man possesses no good thing, 
If Jesus Christ would say when they came to him and said, good master, and he said, there is none good but God. Jesus himself declaring. If that's the perspective, then any good that I have is undeserved good. And if I keep my eyes on that, then my eyes are in the right place. Because it means I'm low and I'm looking up. Perspective matters. It's important for you and I that we keep a positive attitude towards the things that are going on in our life at all times. Solomon uses the word rejoice here in this verse. The Apostle Paul used that word constantly throughout the New Testament. Romans chapter 5, verse 2, he says that we're to rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He said to the Philippians in Philippians 4, verse 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He wrote that from prison. In other words, we have the choice every day of whether or not we're going to be depressed and somber about difficult things or whether we're going to rejoice and give thanks for the good things. And part of seeing success through the difficult is rejoicing in the good. And it's extremely important that you and I do that. Negative thinking and negative thoughts and a pessimistic attitude come out in our personality and they become a part of who we are. On the contrary, joyful thoughts in a positive perspective also communicates through our expression. And God tells us to rejoice not because he just wants positive people, but because he knows it's essential for our mental health. And that's just truth. See, I used to think God told us to rejoice because it was a defense of his reputation. That he didn't want depressed kids because it made him look bad. But what I realize is that that's not why God tells us to rejoice. He tells us to rejoice because it's for our good. It's for our benefit. And thus perspective matters. He tells us fourthly in verse 14, and this I love this verse, perspective and difficulty. He says this, he says that what God gives you is yours already so relax and if not then stop trying to get it notice how he phrases it in verse 14 solomon says this he says i know that whatsoever god does it will be forever nothing can be put to it nor anything taken from it god does it and men or that men should fear before him in other words listen if god has ordained something to come to pass in your life or he has ordained for you to be something or to attain something or to obtain or to have something then he has done that already in your life and no man and no system and no demon of hell can ever take that from you god has done it and he's going to bring it to fruition in his time but if god hasn't given you something in your life then stop trying to get it because you ain't getting it I mean, you might have it for a minute, but the thing's just going to be sabotaged anyways. See, if I understand this, what it allows me to do is it allows me to relax and rest. It helps me to live Proverbs 3, 5. You know that famous verse that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. See, when I realize that no one can take from me the things that God has given, then it allows me to just trust him and I don't have to constantly be manipulating circumstances, people, and situations to try to get my way. I can walk with him. The word acknowledge that's used in Proverbs 3, 5 literally means to know him. It means to know him in everything you do. Just think about that. You can know God in everything you do, and he gives you this glorious rest. It takes faith, 
but it's an amazing experience when you're trusting him in dark times. He tells us in verse 15, and I love this too, he tells us that wherever you are, in whatever purpose and season and time, that there are footprints on the path. Number five is that there are footprints on the path wherever you are. He says this, he says, that which has been is now. And that which is to be has already been, and God requires what is past, or God searches what is past. In other words, he's saying that there's no new experience that you're going through that someone hasn't been already where you are. I think for me, it's one of the most comforting things that happens when I'm in a particular uh, trial or space or spot spiritually, and and I read in the Word of God or I talk to another Christian that has been where I am. And it gives me amazing hope because what it's like is like looking down at the path where I'm walking and I see a footprint that's already there. And that footprint is imprinted with the words, the faithfulness of God, that he's with me even here, even in the midst of this difficulty. He goes on uh, sixthly to tell us in verses 16 and 17 that in the middle of going through these struggles, be careful not to put your trust or your hope in any man. Notice this. He says, and moreover, on top of this, he says, I saw under the sun the place of judgment or justice, the courtroom, the place where the gavel is laid down and the law is administered, the place of justice. I saw in the place of justice that wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, that's the church, That's the synagogue. That's the congregation where righteousness is being declared and upheld and preached. That in the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. That in the place of justice, that in the place of righteousness, there was wickedness and iniquity. Now, how many of us have been scandalized by the reality of Solomon's statement? I know I have. I've seen it. So have you. Injustice in the courts. Iniquity in the church. Sin in the place where they're supposed to be holy. Solomon's saying, I've seen these things. And so he says in verse 17, I said in my heart that God will judge the righteous and the wicked for there there's a time and a purpose for every work. God is going to work it out, but it's going to take patience because God's timing is not our timing. Now, we're going to pick up that theme of that. We're not quite finished yet, but we're going to pick up that theme in chapter 4 because chapter 4 is all about social injustice. We live in the days of social injustice or at least the cry of social injustice. And chapter 4 deals with it, so we'll come back to those verses next week. But he says, don't put your trust in any man because the facade that people put up is misleading. Lady Justice holding her scales, the light of the church, but so often filled with iniquity. There's another reason not to trust man in verse 18. He says, I said in my heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might make it known to them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalls or happens to the sons of men befalls beasts. Even one thing befalls them. As the one dies, so dies the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that man has no preeminence above a beast, for all is vanity. A second reason not to put your trust in men, not only because of the facade that often hides sin, but secondarily, because fallen man is fallen man. And that fallen man is no greater than an animal in the sight of God. And fallen man cannot help another fallen man stand up 
It must be something greater, something higher. And then there's a third reason in verses 20 and 21 why not to put your trust in man. He says, for all go to one place, all are of the dust and all turn to dust again. And listen, and who knows the spirit of man that goes upward and the spirit of the beast that goes downward to the earth. Listen to what Solomon is saying. He's saying, listen, that you in your finiteness and your physical limitations are not even able to determine who is saved and who is not. See, the man that goeth upward is the one who's been redeemed and saved and born again. And the beast that goeth downward is the unregenerate, unsaved person that has not received God. And what Solomon is saying is that it is impossible for you and me to accurately assess the true spiritual condition of another human being. Somebody said one time that there are two things that are going to shock us when we get to heaven. One is who's there. You? You were saved? You believed? The other is who's not there. Where's so-and-so? Dare not say a name. Someone here will go home feeling condemned, you know. Where's Aunt Aloysius? You know, one might be safe, you know. Well, they said they were in church. They professed it's impossible for you and I to know. And thus for you and I to put our trust in another human being to be an anchor in any way to help us in our time of need is a foolish thing to do. Because we put on facades, because we are fallen, and because it's impossible to determine the true motives and intents behind what someone is doing or why someone is doing. He concludes by saying, in verse 22, he says, Wherefore I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? In other words, don't rely on other people, but Put your faith, your hope, your trust in God alone and you look to the condition of your own spiritual well-being and use God as your anchor. Essentially what Solomon is saying is, listen, God is with you. Enjoy the journey. Do your best. Walk with him. So Solomon gives us these seven things that are perspective to us in the difficulty of wrestling with life's seasons. He tells us that the cause that's committed to Christ ends with beauty, that God uses the struggle to, to, to cause the heart to search, that perspective is important, that what God gives us is ours. We can relax, that wherever we are, we're not alone, there's footprints on the path, and that we're not to put our trust in man, but that God is with us, and therefore we can enjoy the journey. So as we close, what are the keys to surviving the escape room? For you and I that are stuck in this thing, trying to figure life out, what are the keys that get us out? Number one is that I need to remember time. Is that all will end, both the bad and the good of life. I only have so much time in my life, and so I don't want to miss out on the opportunities that are before me and miss out on the good because I'm obsessing with the bad. All things will come to an end. Also, I don't want to squander the opportunities that God has placed before me and forget that I'm finite and waste my life. I'm telling my kids all the time, don't waste your life. 
And don't wish your life away thinking, oh, I can't wait till I'm 18. I can't wait till I'm 21. I can't wait till I'm married. Don't do that. Because the next thing you know is you'll get to all those places and you'll say, I wish I was 16. I wish I was 18. I wish I was 21. Enjoy it right where you are right now. Remember time. Second of all, not only do I need to remember time, but I need God to interpret my seasons. There's a verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27, where Paul the Apostle says that when we're struggling and we groan because we're feeling the weight of our struggle, he says there that God helps our infirmities by making intercession through us with groanings that we don't understand. In other words, if you have the Spirit of God in you and you're struggling and you groan, you go, ah, God says, I heard that prayer and I know exactly what it means and I'm going to answer it accordingly. And you say, what? Paul explains it in, in the second verse there of the two, verse 27, I think it is. He says this, he says that he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And that word knows that you see there in that verse is the word interprets. That the Spirit interprets what's going on within the heart. And what I have come to realize is that I need God to interpret for me the seasons that I'm in and the feelings that they're producing within me. Because if I try to interpret it, I bring them to the wrong conclusion. See, if I'm going through a struggle in a season or in a purpose of my life, I think, God, you must hate me. God, you're against me. You're opposing me. That's what I feel like. But if I allow the Spirit of God to interpret those things, then he can tell a completely different story, and he interprets those things according to truth. And I need God to interpret for me by his Spirit the things that I'm going through in my life. That's a study in and of itself for a whole other time. Maybe we'll uh, get into it, but not tonight. And then number three, keys to surviving the escape room, is this, is that with God's help, I can make the most of my purpose. Um, I was listening to a, a pastor recently, and he was um, basically being very candid about his own struggles in his personal life. And he was saying that for many years, the, 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 um, the ministry became the, 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 the first love in his life. And he was just serving constantly, and, they, and it was fruitful. There was thousands of people coming to Christ, and, and the ministry was just growing and growing, but his home life was absolutely wretched. His marriage was bad. His relationship with his kids was bad. And every time his wife would confront him about what he wasn't being at home, he would just excuse it away by saying, listen, it's just a season. It's just a season right now that I'm in. But this season will pass and we'll get this right eventually, but this is just a season. And he said what finally got through to him was that one day they had a, a low-level argument that got kind of hot. And as they were going back and forth and she was laying it on him what he wasn't, and he began to give his excuses, she looked at him, she paused, and she just turned around and she smiled. And she said, you know what? She said, there's always with you a reason or a season why you can't be what God called you to be. And she walked away. There's always a reason or a season why you can't be what God called you to be. And it spoke to my heart as well, not because my home life is bad. You know, it's actually quite good, you know. 
But what it did convict me about is the tendency that I have and can have to make excuses and push off things in my life that maybe aren't right and I justify them because of a season that I'm going through in my life. There's a reason or a season why I'm not who God called me to be. And the challenge for you and I is to not allow our struggles to bring us to the place where we make excuses and thus we thwart the purpose of God in making us what he's called us. And if we're willing, God will help us to discover what it is that the purpose he has for us absolutely is. Your purpose is your why. Why do you exist? What is the reason for your existence? I was having a, a conversation with a, a, a brother in my office um, just this past week. And he came into my office and he sat down. And he, it wasn't an appointment. He came in kind of unexpected. And he, he started to share with me a little bit. And he said, I feel, I, I, I feel called. I want to be a pastor. And, and I listened. I said, you want to be a pastor? And just wanted him to explain a little bit more what he was talking about. And so he said, yeah, I want to be a pastor. And, and, and so I looked at him and I said, okay, you want to be a pastor? I said, why? Why do you want to be a pastor? And he, and he said to me, he goes, you know, he goes, I've, I'm, I go through a lot of things in my life. I'm raising a family. I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm growing up. I'm becoming more of a Christian. I'm learning. And he says, you and I have had uh, a lot of really good conversations over the years. And he said that oftentimes I'll get into a struggle or I'll be having a difficult time. And he says, I can actually hear your voice in my head telling me things. He says, I actually have like little snippets of things you said. Maybe you didn't even say them, but your voice somehow just tells me something. And I just go, yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, and the whole thing. And he said, the reason I want to be a pastor, he said, because I want to be that voice in someone else's life. And I said, that's your why. See, it's not about the what that we do. It's about the why that we do. That's our purpose. That's the purpose that God has ultimately called us into. And I ask you tonight, do you know what your why is? Do you know the reason and the purpose that God has called you to be? Do you see the beauty on the other side of the struggle in all the various purposes and what they're working with in your life? We're going to close the service. I invite you to stand. And maybe tonight you're here and there's things in your life right now that you're going through that you don't understand why there's pressure and why there's struggle. And I just want to pray for you as we close tonight and ask God to give you his love, to give you his encouragement, to give you his wisdom, to give you illumination and understanding of what he's doing in your life right now, to give you hope to give you power and perspective, to help you maybe change the way that you're thinking from seeing only the problems and the difficulties to seeing what God is ultimately doing and raising up and bringing forth. And so, Father, I pray right now for your people that are here. And, Lord, I'm asking you, oh, Lord, each of us here feels the struggle that Solomon communicates. And we ask you, Lord, would you please give us a fresh filling with your spirit? Would you please, Lord, quicken and awaken us? Would you please convict us, Lord, in the areas of our life where maybe we're wasting time or where we become complacent? Well, Lord, that you would allow the struggle to cause us to push the boundaries out and that in it we discover you and that we 
discover your best and your will for our life. So help us, Lord. We need you. We declare our, our need and our dependence. Hear our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.